0: Bibles to Matthew, Chapter Twelve. Matthew, Chapter Twelve, and God's Word um, reads like this. At that time, Jesus went throughout the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God. And he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Let's pray again. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I watched a show... uh, in the last several days, I won't tell you what it is. Some of you may have seen it, but uh, it's a show. Uh, there, was a, there was a Latino bad guy and it, who had a pet tiger. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right. Uh, and uh, he was feeding this tiger. And uh, it was kind of funny because on the back of his head, he wore a mask. So you see this, this rubber thing here. And when he turned around, you'd see another face on the back of his head. And he said, this is my pet tiger. I raised it from a cob, I hand fed it, but I know in its heart it wants to eat me. And so when he turns around, he lets it see another face so it, it thinks he's looking at it. And I just found that such an interesting thing because what he has done is he's taking some kind of artificial barrier and he's using it to, you know, it's this flimsy plastic thing. They can't really protect him from this tiger, but he uses it to try to fool the tiger to protect himself from the dangerous thing. Now what we have here in this passage tonight is a major turning point in the ministry of Jesus, the earthly ministry of Jesus. Of course, we know Herod had been against him. Uh, of course, we know that Satan was against him and unto temptation. Uh, we know that he had been questioned just a couple of chapters ago in chapter 9 about uh, uh, his disciples and their, uh, their not fasting and all that. But here we have an instance of the Jewish people, namely the Jewish spiritual leaders, turning against Jesus. Now, uh, Pharisees get enthusiastically hammered by, uh, by us Christians, don't they? I mean, nobody wants to be called a Pharisee. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, the non-Christian, uh, the argumentative non-Christian, uh, their ace in the hole when they're talking to Christians is what? Y'all are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And, you know, every time I hear somebody say that, I want to say, gee... Who was it that first used that word? Uh, who was it? Uh, oh, that's right. Jesus is the first one that uh, made that observation. But a good one for you, you know. But the Christians ace in the hole, when they really want to get somebody, uh, you know, your kid's mad at you. and well, I'll tell you what you are, Dad. You're a Pharisee. You know, that's the, that's the Christians uh, ace in the hole that they like to whip out. Or another uh, rendering of that would be, you're a legalist. That's what you are. You're, that's legalism. And uh, nobody wants to be called a Pharisee. Or a legalist. But we have to be careful uh, about the, the whole notion of, of what a Pharisee was in that day. It's, I mean, yeah, they're a punching bag and we enjoy it. But uh, we have to be very careful um, when, when we think of them. The name Pharisee is derived from a word uh, uh, that means separated. Okay, That's not really a bad concept, is it? Um, you think uh, obedience to the law of God was on the forefront of their mind. And their their heart's desire was to keep themselves separated from that which would violate the law of God. Now, that doesn't sound like such a bad thing, does it? I mean, we're supposed to keep ourselves separate, aren't we? I mean, isn't that the whole idea? Aren't aren't we a people who are consecrated? Aren't we a people who are set apart? Isn't that the very nature of what it is to be holy? Doesn't God love and command us to be holy just as He is holy? Indeed, the Bible teaches that He is holy Holy, holy, God loves obedience and righteousness. We're in the world. We're not of the world. Aren't those things that we hold very dear to our hearts? And yet, we are embracing Jesus, not planning to kill Him. So there must be some kind of fundamental difference between us and the Pharisees. Even though they have a, a certain heart motive for, for where they are in their theological game, there's got to be some kind of difference between us and them. You look at verse 1. Verse um, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to Him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, what's the big deal? I mean, they're just trying to police God's law and they step step up and say, Jesus, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. what's What's the problem? Well, let's go back to... Probably the first page you have in your Bible. Maybe the ah, second page. Go to Genesis um, chapter 2, verse 1. While well, you get there, um, I'll say that it's very unfortunate that there's a chapter break where there is a chapter break. Because people tend to that we look at verse 31 of chapter 1 of Genesis and go, oh, you know, creation's over. Yay, it's not over. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Genesis says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. That is a part of creation. The seventh day is is a thing that God has made. And, and, of course, he doesn't rest in the sense that he needs to be tired. He rests in the sense that he, uh, he ceases uh, uh, his, uh, his uh, creative work. He rests in the sense that we understand resting. And he puts it in those terms for us. Now, let me show you something else. Flip ahead a little bit to Exodus, chapter 20. And while you get to that, I'll, I'll tell you that the Pharisees have a very good, much better understanding of the Old Testament than we do. They're they are intimately familiar with it. And so, as Jesus is doing these things and they're following Him around, they have things running through their minds. Some of it is the creation account. Some of it is is what we have here in in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. If you look at verse 8, you see the fourth commandment, which says, "...remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant, nor maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates." For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now notice, I mean, that's, not, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Notice what the basis is for that command. The basis is, uh, verse 11, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, but He rested on the seventh day. Creation is the basis for, the, for that commandment. Now, there's a parallel uh, passage of this. If you flip ahead uh, to Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, chapter 5, verse 12. We see the same commandment with a a slight change. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Uh, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember, here's where it differs. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Now you've got the basis for that commandment as a remembrance that there were there was a people in captivity that had been freed from bondage, a slave brought out uh, from bondage, and you see the enormous r- ramifications then of the fourth commandment in the mind of the Pharisees. They're thinking uh, they're, they're thinking that this command is founded upon creation itself, and within that command you you have you have elements like. Uh, creation. You have elements like uh, redemption. You have elements like uh, slaves being freed. You have elements uh, that include God scooping up a people for Himself. You even have uh, 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 elements for an ultimate day of rest. It points toward an ultimate day of rest and it points toward uh, a provision for an ultimate uh, 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 day of rest, which would be a Savior. My question to you is, is are those things treasured by you? I know that they are. They're treasured by me. Those things we love. They meant something to the Pharisees too. But the problem is this. There, there's, a, there's a fundamental problem in the mind of the Pharisees. When they see Jesus doing this, this work, of course, they're, thinking, they're, they're not thinking grace. They're thinking merit. We, we, that's a given, isn't it? They're thinking merit, not grace. But there's a fundamental uh, difference in their mind. They're, they're thinking. It's not a question of the appropriateness of Jesus' actions or his disciples' actions. That's not what they're thinking. The question in their mind is, who has the authority to interpret the law of the Sabbath? They see Jesus giving instruction on the Sabbath and he says that, uh, you know, doing good on the Sabbath uh, is, uh, is permissible. And, and, he, and he names himself the Lord of the Sabbath and, and, uh, and so on. They're looking at him going, wait, wait a second. Who do you think you are? Who are you, who are you claiming to be? Now, let's talk about the disciples' actions a little bit. You know, they're walking through the, the field. Uh, you see there, and, and uh, they're hungry, and they begin to pick some heads of grain. And, or your, your translation may have corn. It's either corn or grain or something. But uh, it's something that they can pick and, and uh, get something off of and, and eat. Well, that, that's, a, that's a perfectly allowed uh, in Old Testament law, in civil law. And, and, and it's really... Well, listen to this. Don't, don't turn. This isn't Deuteronomy. But this will make you a, a, a compassionate conservative. Um, It says, uh, if you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. That is a that is a loving provision given to these people. Uh, If I'm if I'm hungry, let's say I uh, I I don't have any money. I've lost my job and things are very difficult. And I I walk over to uh, the Carter's uh, massive vineyard. uh, I can walk into your vineyard, uh, eat some grapes and not have to worry that you're going to shoot me. Right, but I can't bring a bushel in there and start filling it up and go and selling it at the farmer's market. Uh, it goes on to say, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hand. You know, pick it, eat it. You know, if you're, if you're poverty stricken or if you're a sojourner or a traveler or if you've just been working and you, you forgot your sack lunch and, uh, boy, you just need some energy to get home, it's okay. Go into your neighbor's field, eat some grain. But you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. Don't cut down the man's corn but that, that's a provision that's made. There's nothing wrong with that. The disciples are carrying out a task that is perfectly permissible, but the Pharisees have a problem. Now, here's the problem. You heard this term. Uh, you probably have. A camel is a horse put together by a committee. You ever heard that? Uh, now, you have to be very careful with that because God indeed made camels, and so that illustration falls apart fast. But, but you see the, the picture that it paints. Now, what the Pharisees had done is they've, they've taken the fourth commandment and they say, okay, well, let's get to work on that. So over hundreds of years, they say, um, let's see here. Uh, we, we really need to make some, some further definitions. That will, that's what we'll do. We'll have some committee meetings and, and it'll be great because we're going to define what this whole work thing really is. And they come up with 39 different definitions of work. And I'll give you just a few examples. Um, uh, you could carry nothing heavier than a dried fig on the Sabbath. Um, not a wet, Not a wet fig, a dried fig. That's real light. I meant to bring my winter coat in here. Shoot. I was going to hand it to a dainty lady and say, is this heavier than a dried fig? That was going to be a big illustration. And she was going to go, Pfft. that's a very heavy leather coat. You know, I mean, where, where do you draw the line? What's work? I mean, a dried fig? You know that if you had false teeth, you couldn't wear them. They were too heavy. It, it was work. That's true. Um, this is good. You couldn't bathe on, on the Sabbath for fear you might spill some water, thus washing whatever it fell on. Couldn't drag a chair across the floor, a dirt floor, because if you did, it made ruts and you were in it's sort of like plowing. You know, we don't want to do that. that this is not... I, you see, we laugh, but I'm telling you, you see how meticulous that it, this had been This is the, the ultimate camel created by the ultimate committee. Here's another one. Um, a woman was forbidden to look in a mirror for fear she'd be tempted to pluck out a gray hair. Now, that was before preference by L'Oreal, but uh, you see how silly these things are. And, and, you know, when this accusation is made in uh, chapter 12, verse 2, the Pharisees see this, they say, Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He doesn't say, no, they're not. He, he, he answers with a question. And the reason he doesn't say, no, they're not, is he's thinking, yeah, according to you. You bet they are, according to you. But then he goes on to describe himself as Lord of the Sabbath. And he starts to to interpret the law. Who has the ability to do that but God? This is what so infuriates uh, uh, these people. Uh, You know, it says that the disciples were hungry. And and, I don't know if you've ever heard that uh, they were on the verge of starving and all that stuff. That's a totally bogus uh, uh, argument. That's ridiculous. Really, what, what you know, it's, this is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this account. Matthew's the only account that mentions the fact, in verse 1, that the disciples were hungry. And the reason he's doing that is because, in verse 3, he's setting up what Jesus' r- response was. He is including that fact to tie it to what Jesus' response was, which is in verse 3. Look at it. Jesus answers, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They entered the house of God. He and his companions ate the consecrated bread, uh, uh, and so on. Uh, oh, and let, me, let me keep reading. Um, um, it, it was not lawful them to do it, but only the priests. Haven't you read uh, in the law that the Sabbath, the priests, the temple—they uh, uh, desecrate the day and yet are innocent? You know, th- there's th- there's a th- there's an argument that that uh, David was hungry. His guys go in and they eat the consecrated bread. You know, was David? Who was? What was special about David? He was the Lord's anointed. Kind of special the Lord's anointed. Maybe Jesus is saying, um, one greater than David is here. David can go in and eat the consecrated bread as the Lord's anointed. Maybe Jesus is saying, one greater than David is now here. Uh, You you read on. Uh, Verse um, 5, he says, Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and are yet innocent? He certainly says this in verse 6, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Jesus is making enormous claims. Jesus is saying that uh, himself and uh, his ministry and his priesthood and his coming sacrifice is far better and replaces the the, the, the temple ritual uh, of the Old Testament. It's not a rejection of the temple or the tabernacle or the sacrificial system or anything like that. Not at all. Jesus is saying, you know, those things play an anticipatory role, but but they pointed to the Messiah, the one who would fully and forever pay the the sin debt, and pointed to the Messiah who would one day even restore the temple. Uh, in fact, don't turn. But um, oh, I'm just ahead a little bit here. Uh, um, yeah, Jesus says um, uh, in chapter 26. Um, uh, somebody says, uh, of Jesus, accusing him, yeah, that guy said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Well, one better than the temple, one better than David ha- has come and, and has the authority to interpret the law. Now, let's look at verse... Um, I, I, don't, I don't want you to be stunted. Look at verse uh, 5 one more time. Uh, haven't you read in the law that the Sabbath, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and are yet innocent? Um, just so you know, you know Jesus says um, his his conclusion is um, it is it is um, uh, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's Jesus that's Jesus' interpretation of the law in verse twelve. Who 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 violates the Sabbath on a regular basis? Firemen. Huh? Firemen police. Firemen, police. I do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, every Sabbath, I mean, I, I get up early and I mean, it's a hard day. It's my hardest day. And uh, what about you? Anybody teach Sunday school? Anybody help with the kids? Anybody uh, come in early and greet somebody at the door? Aren't you working? Are you violating the Sabbath? How can you do that? Well, the interpreter of the law is the Lord Jesus, who is God. And he says, it's all right to do good on the Sabbath. The whole point is that, that the Sabbath was created to give man rest. It's good to do the Lord's work on the Sabbath. It's profitable to do the Lord's work on the Sabbath. It's not a violation of the Sabbath. The the priests in the temple desecrate the day. In fact, they have double load, and yet they are innocent. I didn't want that to be hanging up in your head before we left the passage. It's a good thing to to, to know. Um, But in verse 7, Jesus says, If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of, of the Sabbath. If you, if you had known, Pharisees, what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would understand. Now, he, this is not the first time Jesus quotes this uh, in Matthew. He does it in chapter 9 as well, uh, verse 13. Uh, Jesus says, uh, It is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. He is quoting Hosea six. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The idea is steadfast love. You know the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament word agape. I desire a steadfast love. I I, I desire a faithful love. I desire a heart that is after me, not sacrifice. Oh yes, make your sacrifices. But I don't want your sacrifices and your work and your law adherence and your 47 different weird rules that you've concocted. I don't want all the ritual. I want the heart. That's what the point is. Jesus says to the Pharisees, if you understood that, you would understand the law. Which brings us to the the big point, which is in verse 8. The big point is this. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, when Jesus says these words, it's a a huge statement. It it must have sent them reeling. I mean, you see that uh, what happens in verse 14, the Pharisees go out and they plot how they may kill Jesus. They know exactly what He's saying. When He says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, He is saying that He, as true Messiah, has the authority and right to interpret the law. In fact, it's even interesting how he just kind of goads them. You know, in verse 3, he says, they say, what your disciples are doing that's unlawful on the Sabbath. He answers in verse 3, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Of course they read it. But, But Jesus is saying, haven't you read it? Now, they know that they've read it, and they know that Jesus knows that they read it. And yet he says, haven't you read? And then in verse uh, uh, 5 again, he says, or haven't you read the law that on the Sabbath, the priests and the temple and their work don't desecrate the day? Haven't you read that? You know, he, he, he is saying this to the Pharisees because he's trying to make a point that they've missed the meaning. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount... You know, chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, the most written about and quoted and preached upon uh, chapters in the whole Bible. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus, the sermon that he preached. um, You know, he says in uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 17 of Matthew, Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, contrary to popular belief, Jesus did not uh, come and, and uh, preach about the law of God and uh, raise it to a new level. He didn't do that. He did not augment the meaning of God's moral law. He did not raise the bar on God's moral law. That is not true. He said, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Uh, Not a jot or a tittle will disappear. Jesus, He continually says, You have heard that it was said, such and such, but I say to you, hmm, You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, Jesus is, is, is stating His authority. And He's saying that you have always thought it was this way. You've heard it taught this way. You've interpreted it this way. You've been wrong. I say to you that the real meaning of the law was this. You know, you hear people say, oh, my God would never such and such. And my God is this. And my God is tolerant. And my God is that. And I'm, I'm, you know, you go, well, I don't know who your God is, but uh, the God of the Bible is the God. So concoct away. But if you want to put yourself under the authority of this book... The real God's shown in here. What Jesus is saying is, you thought it was this way. You were taught it was this way. But I say to you, it's this. And what He's saying in the Sermon on the Mount is, the real reason... Oh, like... um, Oh, adultery. You know? People look at that and go, Ching! Hadn't done that. And uh, the Pharisees go, Ching! Yeah. Clean! And Jesus, uh, his point is, oh yeah? What's God looking at? He's looking at the heart. He's peering in. He's looking at the dark places. <coughs> He's looking at the hidden spaces. He's looking at the recesses of your heart. And what the Jesus' sermon topic is, that he, uh, God wants heart righteousness. He, he wants, he wants uh, uh, chastity uh, of the heart. And anything less than that is a flimsy barrier that that tries to separate oneself from the thing that is dangerous. And that's his point here too. Oh yeah, you think you've observed the Sabbath? People do that about the 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 Ten Commandments all the time. Uh, Thou shalt not use the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Hadn't said G D. Everything's fine. Wait a second. I mean, is that the end of it? What does God look at? Are you a Christian? Do you have the name Christ emblazoned on who you are forever? You don't live in accordance with that. What do you think you've done? Coveting? I mean, you you just, you know, Les Newsom who preached last Sunday, has a a little thing that he says about the Ten Commandments. Broke them all again today. (laughs) I'm telling you, God looks at the heart. We're, we're lawbreakers, lawbreakers, lawbreakers. And the Pharisees go, oh, the Sabbath. We're going to catch you on the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, you missed the point. It's good to do good on the Sabbath. It's bad to take God's law and, and add to it and pad it and concoct it. And, and, and create, oh, create these artificial barriers that, that make you feel like you're carrying out some tasks. Make you feel safe. But what do they do? They... they it's because you're afraid of the real law that you make these other little laws. That's the problem with these Pharisees. Now, a few more things we'll close up. Verse 14. Oh, back up. Uh, the, Lord of, uh, the, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 9. Going on from that place, all right, so so we know Jesus makes a statement. When he says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, they go, <clears throat> blasphemy, unless you're really God. So, Jesus goes on from that place in verse 9. He went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They're going, uh-huh. Shriveled hand, compassionate Savior, uh, full of love and mercy, uh, This is a good situation. So they say, Jesus, we have a question for you. Uh, Triple hand. Is it lawful? Triple hand. To heal on the Sabbath? Triple hand. And Jesus says to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? By the way, that was part of the uh, civil law. Go do that. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He interprets the law and then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretches it out and it is completely restored as sound as the other. Now what has Jesus done? He has proven that he is God. He makes a statement that he is God. He interprets the law. He says he's Lord of the Sabbath. They try to trick him and he says, I am God. I've exercised authority over the created world. Just as the Sabbath was put into play at creation, here I have now demonstrated my authority over creation. And the Pharisees go, hmm, let's kill Jesus. <laughs> that's verse 14. And then we move on to the next segment. Jesus declares He's God. And that's why. Um, I, I ran into a... A quote that I, that, that just has a word in it that just stuck out that I, I underlined. That's, I just underlined one word. I just found it to be uh, convicting. Um, the quote goes These laws originally written to protect people from violating the real law had in due course assumed the standing of the Mosaic law. What he's saying is, um, you know, people make these other little laws uh, and these other little rituals and these uh, no hand-holding, uh, no no this on the bus, and and uh, no, you know. Oh, I hate to do this to you, honey, but Tammy grew up uh, thinking that coffee was a sin, <laughs> but they were sucking down the sweet tea. <laughs> You know, they were drinking the Coca Cola. You know, they were, they were the jitteriest family in town, you know, but, oh, not coffee. You know, well, you know, I love Tammy's family. And, you know, they're sucking down coffee like it's going out of style now. But, um, you know, folks, that's an artificial rule to protect us from the dangerous thing, the, the real law. What I found so interesting about this quote. is is this guy saying, you know, we make up these little laws and then we take them and we put them on par with the real law. That's what the Pharisees did. The word that he had in there was, these laws originally protected to protect people from violating the real law had predictably in due course assumed the standing of the Mosaic Law. I just thought that was so interesting as I was reading it. That word popped out. I went, it is predictable. I mean, that is our inclination to take the stuff that doesn't matter and use it and manipulate it and, and work it and uh, turn it into, in our minds, the stuff that does matter. When the stuff that truly does matter is the, is the real deal. And, and, you know, we build just like the Pharisees. You know, it's easy for us to point our fingers at them and go, but that's our inclination. It's predictable that fallen people do that. We build for ourselves protective fences of lesser laws because it helps us not be confronted with The real thing, which is for the Christian that God wants a heart that is after him. Last thing is this. Where this passage comes into play, it's very significant what what came before it. What came before it? Jesus just says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is the purpose of a yoke? To make it harder for the animal to pull the load? To slow down the plowing? Or is the the purpose of a yoke to to enhance? To help? Jesus says, My burden is light. My yoke is easy. And then you have the scene about the heavy burden of the law that the Pharisees had to put into play. It's no accident that that shows up the way it shows up, where it shows up. What does Jesus say about his own yoke? It's easy. Not because it diminishes justice or makes demands lighter, but his yoke is easy because God is a God of grace. And our Savior has come to pay a sin debt of which he is well aware. And the yoke is easy and the burden is light because, because a people enter into an eternal and unified relationship with someone who is gentle and humble in heart. None other than the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray to Him. Lord Jesus, You are God. You are the Son of God. You reign as God. You were God of creation. No thing has been made that has been made without you. And uh, we bless you and love you and thank you that um, not only did you put aside your glory for a time and take on a, uh, a human nature and walk around in the dust just like us, but you lived a perfect life we couldn't live. You died a death of sacrifice that we could never die. You paid a debt we could never pay. And you rose again with us united to you. We thank you that we now have an advocate in heaven who pours out effectual prayers at the throne of the Father. We praise you that justice is served. And we pray that you would cause us to be after what you are after, chastity of the heart. For we pray it in your name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.